So it's good to spend time thinking about ultimate things. Um, if Jesus is who he says he is, this matters, and it matters above all. So you'll find an outline, and uh, you know, we'll, you'll, as you'll see, we'll cover some background, and then we'll attempt some real theology, sort of crescendoing. If we, we, won't, we don't need to cover everything, and we, we, we probably won't cover everything that I have on there. So, uh, but, you know, uh, when you're in second grade, it's, it's totally right to have a second grade understanding of the Trinity. As Christian adults, we really should call ourselves to more. We, you know, we're, we're so educated on so many things um, and become experts, but sometimes, right, our religious education lags. So here I want to just hope to advance you a little bit and, and whet your appetite to pursue it further. So I also, I, I hesitated that the last part, if, if we get to it, is about relation, is really, I, I, it's, it's kind of technical, and I thought, I hesitated, should I, shouldn't I, but I, to talk about Aquinas on the Trinity, if you don't talk about relation, you really, I wouldn't really be presenting Aquinas' um, understanding. And then also, you're, you're in you're Manhattan, New Yorkers, and come on. In fact, Father Sebastian said, he, he said, now they're not, you know, like, theological Technicians, he said, but they're they're intelligent lay people. So I said, oh come on, they can handle it, you know. So good. So but there should be something useful for all, for all of you, I think, and uh, uh, everyone can take what what he what's what's available. So okay. So first, why is it necessary to know the Trinity? And this is important because actually one other thing Father Sebastian said to me is he said, you know, the the lectures they, they want to know in the lectures they want to know like how does it apply to their life. Right? And as, as we'll see, you know, Aquinas will say it's necessary to know the Trinity to be saved. And so if you don't want to go to hell, you better be taking notes. That's pretty much what it boils down to. <laughs> he, can, he, has, he has pens if you need a paper. And so, okay. okay, why is it necessary to know the Trinity? Just because we like theology? No, Aquinas gives two reasons. First, for a right idea of creation. Okay, so to understand, I mean, we're, we're creatures, that's also a, a beautiful and and deep mystery that God can raise up things out of non-being to share in his being, add nothing to his being. It's no change in him to create. It's effortless, but he can do that. So a right idea of creation. Now, how does the Trinity give us a right idea of creation? St. Thomas says, the fact that God made all things by his word rules out the error of those who say that God produced things by necessity. So what does that mean? By your word. If you do something intellectually through your mind, then you, you do it freely. There are things you don't think about, you know, breathing, your heart beating, okay? But if you're using your mind, like to make something, you're building a bench or something, you do it freely. So in, in knowing that all things were made through the word and in the Holy Spirit, it, it rules out, among other things, that one thing that elucidates is God made freely. Because this would be distinguished from like some of the ancient Greek positions where the emanations just automatically come out. No, God did it. It wasn't like just breathing or heart beating for us. No, no. He thought he, he did it through his word. So he, it, he created freely. So creatures, we are all chosen, raised up out of, out of being deliberately. It wasn't just kind of like it just happened, had to happen. He says, and also, since the Holy Spirit is a procession of love, we see that God produced creatures not because he needed them, nor because of any other extrinsic reason, but on account of the love of his own goodness. Okay? So he wasn't in need and, and, and desperate for our company. Or No. The, Holy, the fact that he does it, creates the Holy Spirit shows that it's on account of his generosity, not on account of a lack of his. He, so he does it totally freely and as a gift. He's totally free, 
and, and doesn't need us, but he, so it's, it's all totally gratuitous. That should help us appre- appreciate the gift he's given us. Okay, now, and it gives a second reason. This is the chief reason. So a right idea of creation is one reason why it's necessary to know the Trinity, but even more for the right idea of salvation, accomplished by the incarnate Son and by the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we know we talk often about Jesus, but the gift of the Holy Spirit and grace also. So we need to know the Trinity in order to believe in Christ and be saved. It is Christ who reveals the Trinity. This points to Aquinas' soteriological motivation. Soteriological what? In Greek, soter means savior. So you could say, right, salvational motivation. The whole point of Aquinas' theological investigation, which admittedly, we'll see, right, we humans think in propositions, we speak in propositions, so it can be very technical, yes, if we, anything, right, law, you know, philosophy. Okay, yes, it can be, hard work mentally, but the whole point of Aquinas' theological investigation is to come to know God and be saved. Right? That's it. It's a matter of reading and interpreting the scriptures. So it's not a fascination with a system of thought. It's not a matter of becoming a scholar. I mean, you might become a, that's a noble ambition, and, and you, might, you might become one along the great, great. But that's not the main point. If we miss that the point is to be saved, to come to know God and be saved, then we'll have missed Aquinas' point. The point is to come to know God and to be saved. That's why, that's why he's doing all this hard technical work. So, yes, it's hard work mentally, but uh, Aquinas makes this, this salvation, this dimension of salvation, primary. So I give you that quotation from the Summa Theologiae, the second part of the second part. He says, It is impossible to believe explicitly in the mystery of Christ, without faith in the Trinity, since the mystery of Christ includes that the Son of God took flesh, that he renewed the world through the grace of the Holy Spirit, and again, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Right? So the less you know about the Trinity, the less you know about Christ. Because Christ is the Son who comes from the Father, and with the Father breathes forth the Holy Spirit. In the whole Old Testament, God is called Father about 22 times. Like some can argue over whether it's referring to God as Father. But, so 22 times, but in the four Gospels alone, he's called Father 170 times. So if we miss the revelation of the Father, we've missed the New Testament revelation, right? Where Christ has come and we've, 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 we've missed it. I mean, 170 times, right? He couldn't, could hardly say it more, right? The Father, I come from the Father, I will lead you back to the Father. The message of Christ is that he comes from the Father and will lead us back to the Father. And he makes it known that he will do this through the Holy Spirit. So for St. Thomas Aquinas, the words, the deeds, and very person of Christ reveal the Father. Right? That's, and they're salvific to us. His person, his deeds, his words reveal the Father. And this revelation takes place in the Holy Spirit. St. Thomas says in his commentary on the Gospel of John, If the Holy Spirit didn't open our minds, even as great a teacher as Christ would be unintelligible. Christ is speaking. In fact, there are times, right, when the apostles say, you know, they didn't ask him, like, about after the transfiguration, right, to what he said, okay, don't tell anybody until after, you know, I've been raised from the dead. And they're like, okay, yeah, got it. They're like, I was raised from the dead. If the Holy Spirit makes Christ intelligible to us. So So the Holy Spirit 
leads us to the Son, right? Makes intelligible his words, and the Son reveals to us the Father. This is our way back to heaven. So, I also should insert in here, why, by the way, Aquinas? Why? why? So, I mean, it's the wisdom of Aquinas series. So, why? that's why. Well, not only, but there's a reason behind it. Besides his sheer analytical brilliance, Aquinas offers a synthesis of the whole patristic heritage. So, with an emphasis on Augustine, but the more I've looked at him, the more I've seen, the Eastern Fathers are also increasingly present in his later works. Um, and that's of note, his pre-Augustine influences are, are helpful to take note of, because sometimes people say, oh, he's a clone of Augustine. No, actually, um, he's aware of the Eastern Fathers, and more and more as, as, in, his, as he, in his later career. So that's one reason. He's a, he synthesized the whole teaching of the Fathers, and he brings the advantage of all the medieval advances. So they have debates over you know, universal, particular, person, nature, you know, relation, hypothesis, what, you know, individuation. So he's, he has the whole patristic, patristic tradition, and then he has this, the, 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 what to him was, he refers to himself in one place as a modern. He said, the moderns, we think this. It's, it sounds funny. But. So, so he has all these advances in, in articulation, uh, and so he's, he can bring forward um, all, all that, and the, ex, the, the revelation and, and the excellent work that had been done before. So Aquinas is a great resource for us in that way. So it's not just because he's a Dominican and Father Sebastian and I are Dominicans. No, he has, he, he, can, he can speak. He sums up in a, in a brilliant way the mind of the church. He also brings to bear the great Greek philosophers, Plato and Aristotle. I mean, you, could, you might say especially Aristotle. And in this, fa- in, in fact, so St. Albert, his teacher, uh, really is one who brought uh, Aristotle back. And he, they were considered, uh, you know, they were, they were um, liberals in a sense, a bit, a bit of a r- radical. Some of the Neoplatonic, uh, you know, those in the more conservative strain would be Neoplatonists would say, I, I mean, the, Aristotle, I mean, he, he, can he be squared with Christian revelation? He shouldn't be doing that. So, but Aquinas brings these great philosophers to bear and with such success that his thought becomes the first recourse of the church in theological matters, like with transubstantiation, we're talking about matter and form in, in the sacraments. And here, Aquinas is not operating in a vacuum, but he's synthesizing and advancing and perfecting the thought of other authors, even contemporaries of his, St. Albert, St. Bonaventure, Alexander of Hales, Richard of St. Victor, St. Anselm. Okay. And one last reason for following Aquinas is he offers what we could say a, a sapiential approach as opposed to an occasional one, so, and which, would off, which would characterize the fathers oftentimes. So they tended to emphasize, like they'll be in a debate, you know, Augustine against Pelagius. And, you know, in a debate, sometimes in the heat of the debate with an obstinate heretic, it's, it's easy to, to, you know, you just hit it, hammer a point really hard. And then later someone might ask you, so like with Pelagius, like, you know, we, we don't meet God halfway. God's grace is, his, his initiative is there. It's primary, right? He, he's the first actor. But if you keep saying that over and over and hammering it, right, uh, just thinking about this point, you could, you could, Underemphasize our freedom, and so you might say someone might read something and come back and say, "Who's not dealing with that debate?" and say, "Oh, well, you, you know, so we're, we really it's all on God." You might say, "No, no, well, that's you know, you can overstate it." Aquinas' approach, sapiential, he just builds. So he he takes note of heresies and problems and issues, but he's not arguing against any particular one. He's building up, like he'll just ask, and this is what Aristotle is helpful to him, like. What does it mean to be something? What does it mean for things to change? Just from the beginning, building up, building up. In fact, sometimes that can make reading the Summa um, seem 
slow or like, why is he talking about number in God? What, no, who, well, because he's just building up. Does quantity apply to God? Does number apply to God? Okay, so just one, just building up, and so that it's it's really tight. So he anticipates, in fact, a lot of problems. So later issues, you know, some of Martin Luther's, for instance, if, if they had studied Aquinas, they would have seen a way around, they would have avoided some of the errors they made. So that's another reason to um, appeal to Aquinas. Okay, so what is the point of talking about a mystery if a mystery exceeds our mental grasp? Okay, so I have that on your outline there. Well, so in other words, so what is the role of speculative theology? First, to elucidate the faith, right? So faith-seeking understanding. So importantly here, uh, and I'll give you an example, but um, not just to appeal to authority, uh, but to understand, right? So elucidate the faith and rule out error. Those are, so those are, so you see a positive and negative aspect. And even another positive aspect is even lead to contemplation. All these propositions, you know, you just you read uh, the brilliant theology. You, you can be led to contemplation. You see how far God is above, how much God loves us. You just sometimes it will break open and you'll just see, you'll glimpse something. And uh, so, the, even speculative theology—not only saying prayers or singing, or even speculative theology—can lead you, should even lead you to contemplation. So we are not proving the faith. Aquinas is very clear about this. Attempts to prove the faith, Aquinas says, detract from it in a couple ways. Right? So on all these arguments, you make strong arguments, they can, you know, it's fantastic, but we shouldn't think we're proving the faith. First, one, one problem is that will make it seem like God is just like visible things that are within our intellectual grasp. Right? So like, you know, in biology, you get a specimen of something put under the slide, you're looking at it like, oh yeah, yeah, I get that. See, and sometimes we could, if we speak too overconfidently, we'll say, oh, I get it. Yeah, so God is just like, yeah, I see what God's uh, nature is like. Aquinas says, no, no, you don't. He's so far above. We re- creatures reflect God and tell us something about him, but we should never pretend to prove the faith. The second reason he gives is if you pretend to prove the faith, then you expose the faith to the ridicule of unbelievers because they'll think you believe it for these weak reasons. I mean, even, even the most brilliant arguments, right, they're, they're, they're wonderful for resolving problems, for ruling out error, and they elucidate the faith. But if you were to talk to an unbeliever, right, someone who just didn't believe, that you, it, it would, could seem ridiculous. You said, but you believe for this reason? No, 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 I believe because God told me. I, I believe it's God who says it, not because I have this, this neat little argument. So for those two reasons... At least, we shouldn't pretend to prove the faith, right? We can give fitting reasons, and the faith is intelligible, so that, yes, definitely, and Aquinas is very strong on that, but not a demonstration, not a proof. In fact, that one time, and this was a man, a, a priest, studying at um, one of our institutions at the Angelicum, and he was, our, his, his thesis was on um, the necessity of the Immaculate Conception, now, maybe he meant the fittingness of it, but it made me a little nervous of the necessity. So, did God have to create us? No. Did God, if God created us and we sinned, did God have to rescue us? No. Could God have rescued us without becoming man? Yes. Could God have become man without Mary? Yes. Could God have become without, been born of Mary, even if she were immaculately conceived? Yes. So, there's a fittingness, but be careful. The necessity. Just, 
we don't, we don't know. We, we, we see the facts, we have the revelation, we elucidate it, and we rule out error. But to pretend to see how, what God is and how things have to be, right? Uh, we, Aquinas says, don't do that, because then you're actually lowering God, treating him as like, you know, some animal that you can actually experiment with in the lab. And you can also give these reasons that, are, that people might think are the reason why you believe, and then that could expose the faith to ridicule. But elucidation is important. He says in uh, what is called the quad liberal question, or whatever question, because they'd have these uh, medieval disputes, and sometimes people could bring, you know, sometimes it'd be just within the school, and then you know the people, you're pretty probably okay, you know, students would raise questions. But sometimes the open ones would be professors from other faculties, and they'd come, they couldn't wait until it was your day to come, to come harass you about some point. So the whatever question. But in, in his quad liberal question four, he says, if I paraphrase, if we only appeal to authority, then people will know what is true and what's false, but not the difference between the, tru- between the two. So imagine, you know, it'd be like, okay, stop on red, go on green. And this is, you know, you, you know why immediately, but let's say you didn't, you didn't, if someone just said, okay, we, we, you know, like a little kid, stop on red, go on green, but you don't say why. Well, one day you might say, well, I know that, the you know, I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to stop on red and go on green, but I'm wondering, you know, maybe I should try going on red. But if you tell them, so no, okay, when you have red, the people going across have green, so that's why you don't cross, because you can get hit, because they're like, oh, oh, okay, now I don't only know what is true and what's false, but what, why? And, you, and so you can lay hold of it, right? So talking about the equality of the divine person, you could just say, three persons, one God. Okay. No, but what, what does that mean? Otherwise, you can slip away, or, and we... Um, or give up on it more easily. Good, and let's also distinguish a mystery from a problem. Problems are to be solved. Mysteries are to be contemplated. Uh, Mysteries are not incomprehensible on account of being self-contradictory. Right, so we say, God, it's a mystery. Yeah, okay, that doesn't mean that, well, we can't grasp it because it's incoherent. No, it's just that God exceeds us. I I heard in a homily at my own parish, um, pastors um, say, you know, it's not supposed to make sense because it's, it's a mystery. And I thought, oh, no, no, no. So, I mean, you can give that a favorable interpretation, but it's not, it's, it's Aquinas uses the, the image of the owl looking into the sun. <clears throat> it's not that there's no light. There's too much. God's way of being is, is so far above, so different from our experience that there's too much intelligibility. So that's why it remains a mystery because these, what's, these tensions and what are, what are things in tension in our minds are perfectly united in God. So it's not that, so God is not a mystery to himself. In fact, he's the most self-evident. He's the, he has the most being. He's the most intelligible thing. You could, the most there is to understand, but there's too much for us to understand. So that's why, so a mystery is to be contemplated, but we shouldn't be contemplating problems. And that's what good theology can do is rule out the problems, and locate where the mysteries are, right? And so this task is ambitious but modest. So um, ambitious because, uh, if I could quote uh, Aquinas from the Summa Theologiae again, question 31, he says, When we speak of the Trinity, we must proceed with care and befitting modesty, because as Augustine says, he quotes Augustine, nowhere is error more harmful, the quest more toilsome, the finding more fruitful. So it's, it's 
God who loves you, who created you, who, who, without whom you can't be saved. So yes, the finding is the most fruitful. So, uh, but we need to be modest and because error is, is so easy. So easy to make a mistake. You just talk about the Trinity long enough. You sound up. You, you know, anyone can sound like an idiot because you're got all these trying these what's these tensions of the mystery, and uh, it's easy to make a mistake. The quest is more toilsome. Nowhere is it more toilsome. Okay, good. So moving to section two, then, how do we know about the Trinity? Well, from Christ through the Scriptures. So we can know by reason alone that God exists, that He's one that he's good, that he's infinite. But we know that the one God is a community of three persons only because it has been revealed to us. So St. Thomas, and maybe you know something, if you've ever heard of his this famous five ways in question two of the Summa, he shows, he demonstrates, basically the, the argument is basically, you could say it's like in physics, the conservation of energy or you can't get a free lunch, right? He, he argues if you see effects, things that aren't the source of their own being and that change, to have potency, basically, as a philosopher would say, there has to be something that doesn't get it from anywhere. It has to start. Some, there has to be something that, that just is that thing, and it's not borrowing it from some something else. So he so he would say you can give a hard philosophical demonstration, a proof. So this is not a matter of faith that God exists. Now, whether He loves you and what's good, okay, we don't know anything about that, but you can prove that there is a first cause, and you can tell some things about it. Right, just like we, we reason from effects to the cause all the time. You, you know, you're walking along and you see a bird footprint, or if you, let's say you saw a pterodactyl or Tyrannosaurus rex footprint or something, right, you'd say, or in, so for our day, let's say a tiger footprint you could distinctly recognize, right, you'd become a little concerned. You'd say, okay, whatever caused that, you know, I know other things about it, right? Or uh, you could tell the difference between a dog barking or an opera singer singing, hopefully. Because, what? Because, so the effect tells you something about the cause. Well, if you look at the world, you can tell the things about the cause. The cause has to be able to produce things like this. So you can tell he has at least what the, all the perfections of the universe because he produced it. So Aquinas would say you can prove that. But to know that this first cause is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know only because Christ revealed it, revealed it in the Scriptures. So that's, that's how we know. So, in our, in our, when we reason back to God as, as one and, and uh, creator, even there our knowledge is limited. Because the power to create belongs to all three persons who are co-equally God. So we can't see that there are three persons because you could say creation, creatures don't have the ontological density to, to show the distinction of persons, right? You can just see like a, a vaguer footprint, if you want to say, vestige, vestigium in the Latin, to show that some things about God, but not that he's a trinity. Okay. So what, <clears throat> what we know by faith then is, is Christ reveals the trinity in the scriptures. We only know about the trinity because Christ speaks of himself as the son, and he speaks of a father. He says, I come from the father. And he speaks of a Holy Spirit. Right? He says, I will send you another paraclete from the father. So Christ makes it clear that he himself is neither the Father nor the Holy Spirit. Right? So then I, we have some scriptural quotations here that I want to read through. Just so you, you know, I'm not making this up or the church is not making this up, right? This is, it comes from Christ. So he says in Matthew, the end of Matthew's gospel, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, hmm, 
who are they? So they don't, apparently they're not the same, but you could still wonder, are there three names of just one same person? Okay, no, it doesn't sound like it, but okay. Then we have <clears throat> from John, Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. Okay, well, you're not greater than yourself, so there's someone who's not you. The Father is, you're not the Father then. Okay, pretty clear. Again from John, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak thus as the Father taught me. So there you see the Son is, is, does things that the Father gives him to do. So we see an order between the Father and the Son. And again then from Mark, but, uh, but of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Wow. Okay. So there's something the Father, the Father has that he shares with the Son, but you see the Father is not the Son. All things, so I'm going to continue, Matthew, all things have been delivered to me my, by my Father. So that's also everything. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Okay, so now we see the Son has a role in revealing the Father. So they're distinct. Then this uh, majestic and profound passage from the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. Okay. So, and the Word was with God. Okay, so that so the Word's not God. He's, he's with God. So, okay, the Word's not God. And the Word was God. Wow, how about that? Oh, I should have given you the Greek, too, because in Greek, we never say the God. Um, in, right? Um, the God be with you. We just say God be with you. In Greek, they do. and uh, They sometimes use it. And so when he's speaking of the Father, John says, ho theos, he has the, the direct, uh, the definite article, the God. So it's the Word was with the God, and the Word was God. So there, just even <clears throat> John's exploiting the grammar to express the divinity of the Son, but his his distinction from the Father. And then how about the Holy Spirit? So if we come to John 8, 42 and 15, 26, Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded, okay, that one's just Jesus, right? I proceeded and came forth from God. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So when we say the Son proceeds from the Father, right? This isn't, you know, St. Athanasius making this up in the, you know, second century or third century. It's, uh, it's in the scriptures, right, from the Gospel of John. And then John 20, 15, 26, But when the Counselor comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. So the Son is sending him, he proceeds from the Father. So there are three. We see they, different ones proceed from the other. Okay, so that's the Sawatsi. So they're, they're distinct you might even say different. I just, I, I just use that word, but you have to be careful when it says be careful with saying different. Distinct is, is, more, uh, is safer. But on the other hand, Christ makes it clear that he and the Father are one God with one same life and power, right? Which could only belong to one true God. So, go right back to John, which we just quoted. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, there's only one, there can only be one first, absolute, perfect, superior being. And it's, so now it sounds like the Son is. You, you say, wait, wait, but you're, so you're not the Father, but you're God with the Father. Wait, how? So we'll, we'll think about that. Before Abraham was, I am. 
and you know these are the, this, the famous I am in Greek ego AB like when he's I am so I, I, am, I simply am I exist it's, if you remember Moses with the burning bush said who, who should I say sent me you know I don't speak very well uh, you know I, if I just show up he's going to say get out of here I have to say you know some who should I say sent me and the Lord not very helpful says tell him I am sent you and you th- could just see Moses thinking could you give me another name? <laughs> you know, but I am. I just, I am. So here, Christ says, before Abraham was, I am. So he's, uh, really? Wait, wait, God, only God says that. So you're now you're saying, you're confusing us. Wait, so you're not the Father, but, but you, you, you can say, I am. Okay, and this uh, longer passage from John. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Wait a minute. You give them eternal life? Okay, if you, give, if you give someone eternal life, not only you just have it, you don't have it from another, you, you own it if you're able to give it. So, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Okay, that's what we have to keep knitted together. And then what happens? The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. So they didn't understand that he was God, but they, they correctly, and this is, you know, these, they're, that's very, they should get some credit for this. They understood what he was claiming. They weren't like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever. No, they, he was saying, listen, listen, okay, God, I am, I am, I am, and I am, the, I am God. So. Okay, so how are we to understand this, make sense of it? The early church was praying to Jesus as God. Right, so in the upper room, you remember, Thomas said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And we say, wait, wait, okay, so, but is Christ the Son, God, in the same way that the Father is God? And how about the Holy Spirit, who is the paraclete sent by the Father and the Son, and who can forgive sins, right? So remember, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. So wait a minute, this can be, the Holy Spirit can be given, and then they, that's, they, have, they now, in the name of God, can forgive sins. So yes, this is the, this is the affirmation, and we're going to work on this in the, in the second portion. All three persons are co-equally God. Equally the divine essence. They, they are each, each one is the divine nature. Okay? Yet there is distinction. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. So there's one God, one divine intellect, one divine will, one divine being, but this divine essence is possessed by three Three persons, right? Three who say I. You say three eyes, but I mean I. Three who say I. But not three centers of consciousness, right? One life, one being. That's what we have to affirm and, and, under, and articulate, right? So but how is this possible? Well, that's it. This is the work of the theologian to articulate. This is a mystery, not a contradiction, right? So we're not saying, oh, one is three. No, because one is not three. We're saying that there's one God with one divine essence, possessed by three distinct persons. We can't offer a full explanation or a proof, but again, what's the role of speculative theology? To elucidate, 
So we can say some things, we'll just get a mental grasp. It's, it's, it, I find it amazing the, the analogy that Aquinas uh, works on, that we'll, we'll work on in the second part. And to rule out error, and that is no small thing. In fact, heresies, you, oh, so sometimes you read this, you know, you know, elaborated theology, and you think, where in the world did you get all these, you know, um, categories to talk about in such a detail? Well, actually, heresies. People will get something wrong, something everybody's going along, and then someone will say, well, like, like, like Christ, okay, he's God, and then someone will say, well, but lesser, a lesser God, God, but not true God, right? The Father is true God, and he's God, but not true God. And then the church, you know, I just think, so, wait, wait, is that? Wait, no, 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 he's true, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. In fact, that's why it's replicated in the creed. When you first hear they say, we just said God from God, why are you saying true God from true God? What's your problem? Well, for the Greeks, right, Thinking of, of emanations, these you know heavenly beings, they'll say, "Oh, Jesus, God, sure, 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 you're 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 God, you're you and the Father, fine, fine, that's fine." I mean, but the Father is the one, right? And then, and so He's true God, but you can't claim to be true God. Oh yes, oh yes, that's the mystery. So yes, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. So we're saying that there is one God with one divine essence, possessed by three distinct persons. So to us mortals, God's Trinitarian matter, manner of existence seems so weird, right? I mean, um, it's just, it's, how is that possible, we keep asking. But God would say, wait a minute, no, no, I'm normal. You're the weirdos, you know, <laughs> being material creatures. So, so one human essence distinguished by, you know, individuated by matter so that you have place, so that, so that you're a bunch of humans, you're all the same essence, but, you know, I'm here, you're there, you have your, this quantity, you have that quantity, you have these dispositions. You know, he said, that's, that's not how being is. Being in its most radical form is just being the Trinity. You know, you're, so, so that's one thing to remind ourselves. Sometimes we say, well, that's so hard to imagine or believe. Could it really be true? It's like, what? God would say, what, what do you mean? Uh, that's, the way, that's the way it has always been, and then I raised you up to share in it, but um, you do so in a different way. So there's a tension present to the human mind as it is stretched beyond the orbit of reason by faith in God as one and three. So here we want a both and, and this is, shows up all the time in theology, where the mystery is, is, keeps this tension together, both and and not an either or. Heresies arise when the mystery of oneness and threeness is reduced to a problem of oneness versus threeness. So if you resolve it in, in favor of oneness, then you have what's called a form of modalism, right? where you say, okay, so God is really one person, but he has three modes, but, but not three distinct persons. So he like, wears three masks, maybe, or there are three phases of action in history. So yeah, Father as creator, Son as redeemer, Holy Spirit as sanctifier, fine. But so that you lose the fullness of the mystery, and you just say, oh, well, um, you resolve it, you eliminate the dis this real distinction of the three persons. And if you resolve it in favor of threeness, then you have a form of subordinationism, where the Son is subordinate to the Father and the Holy Spirit as well, and usually the Holy Spirit to the Father and the Son. So here you'd say, oh, so the Father is the uncreated God, and the Son and the Spirit are lesser divinities. So they're, yeah, okay, the, God's, you know, far above us, but not true God. So the creed pushes back against this, as we just said, right? The Son is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Begotten, so not made, begotten, born. Consubstantial, one being with the Father. So Aquinas will say in a very succinct way, in the Trinity there's order without priority. So distinction, there's order, there's procession, 
but there's no priority. So we needed some conceptual model by which to keep three and one together. And uh, we're, so we, we, you know, we need some analogy that expresses distinction and perfect unity. Is there some concept by which we can explain this analogy that might tie these two aspects together in a coherent way? 